It is always a good Sunday to be able to come and worship together, no matter what we're doing here, because worship in and of itself is a great and wonderful and powerful thing. But I think it's always an especially good Sunday to be able to come when we begin a new sermon series together, and that's what we're doing this morning. We are jumping into the exploration of the life of David in the Old Testament. David is a phenomenal character throughout all of Scripture. Uh, In fact, in all of Scripture, only Jesus seems to have more written about him than what David does. David is found in a lot of different Old Testament books. He is often considered the greatest king of Israel, God's people. He reigned for 40 years. He's a really big deal. And as we study the example in the life of David, one of the things that we discover is that there's a whole lot of things for us that we can relate to in our lives that apply to our lives from the life of David. And so that's what we're jumping into here this morning. If you listen to the scripture that was just shared with you a few moments ago, even if you are not a biblical scholar, if you don't consider yourself a biblical scholar, I'm guessing you've at least heard reference to the story we're looking at this morning, which is the story of David versus Goliath. Even in our cultural lingo at times, we we will refer to large challenges or large barriers as Goliaths of some sort. Uh, It's even found its way into our language in that regard. And so as we gather together this morning, that's what we're going to be looking at, David versus Goliath. When I say that to you, I want to invite you, if you haven't already done so, to open your Bibles to the Old Testament, the front half of the Old Testament. There you will find the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be looking at chapter 17, verses 32 through 50, and those are the verses just shared with you. But before we dive into those specific verses, I'm going to ask that we back up a little bit so that we can understand exactly what's happening by the time we get to verse 32 in chapter 17. So if you would, open your Bibles up to chapter 17, verse 32, but just put a pin in it, hold on to it for a little bit, because we're going to back up a little bit in order to get to what we shared a few minutes ago in the story that you just heard. As we start to do that this morning, here's what I want to set the scene for with you. David and his story is occurring roughly uh, 11, uh, in the 11th century BC, so over a thousand years before Christ enters onto the scene with us. That's where David's story is happening. And at that time, ancient warfare was a horrible thing. Now, obviously, ancient warfare is awful today. But you and I have a tendency to almost glamorize it or at least sanitize it to a degree. Arm-to-arm combat is something that we are increasingly unfamiliar with, and when we do talk about it, we think about it in reference to movies like Gladiator or Braveheart, and we know that it's violent, awful stuff, but we don't really get that it's awful, violent stuff. So in this time of David, the only way that they knew to fight was literally hand-to-hand, arm-to-arm combat. What did that mean? That meant that you were literally within arm's length of the person that you were going to try to kill or that person who was going to try to kill you. That meant that you were close enough to literally look into their eyes and you could see the fear or the panic or the scared nature or if you looked into their eyes and all you saw was a sense of calm, you should probably worry because maybe they were a professional killer and used to killing others and this kind of situation didn't even phase them. In that case, you better worry that you're dealing with somebody incredibly, incredibly serious about their desire to kill. You were so close in combat, you literally could tell what somebody had eaten for lunch. You would have been able to smell it on their breath and and what they had been drinking. You were that close. It also meant that when the fight was over and if you were the one that happened to survive, literally you'd have to go and wash off and you had to decipher if it was your blood you were washing off 
or your opponents as you dealt with your own cuts and your own wounds. It was ugly, nasty stuff. What a great way to start a sermon, huh? Don't you think, as we gather here this morning? Aren't you glad you came this morning as we talk about all that? But I want you to understand it's this kind of mindset that's happening for what's going to happen with David and Goliath, that when, when David is here and Goliath is here and they're setting the scene and they're talking about fighting, what kind of fighting is it? It's this arm-to-arm combat that's about to happen. And as it's getting ready to happen, here's the scene that's going on. David has not quite yet on the scene, but prior to him coming, Goliath has put out a challenge for the people who were there. It was the Philistine army against the Israelite army, and Goliath comes out with what sounds like a good idea on the surface. He says, hey, everybody, instead of us all fighting, instead of a whole bunch of blood being shed, instead of a whole bunch of lives being lost, how about we do this? We'll have one warrior from one camp go against one warrior from another camp, and whoever wins, the other army will belong to them. So it's a symbolic fight, as it were. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? And on the surface, it certainly does, except there was one problem. The person fighting for the Philistine camp was Goliath. And Goliath was a giant of a person, literally a giant of a person. In fact, I want to read for you a description in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 4 to 7. Here's the description we hear of him. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Let me translate that for you just a little bit. Goliath is therefore over nine and a half feet tall literally giant-esque for us human beings. His spear was roughly six to six and a half feet long, and just the iron tip of it, the iron point, weighed 15 pounds. It was not meant for throwing from a distance. It was meant for up close where you could take the spear and literally kill a person in front of you. And most likely the way that Goliath would have fought is he would have gone out with the infantry, but he would have been not in row number one, but row number two, Because he was so tall and with that long spear and his height, he would have been able to reach over the first row of infantry to kill who was ever in front of them. That's probably how he would have been fighting at this time. So picture Goliath coming out. Picture him head to toe in all of this armor decked out. Picture his sheer size and picture the terror of arm-to-arm combat. That's what's going on here. And Goliath comes out with this idea saying, how about one of us fight one of you, we'll see who wins, whoever loses belongs to the other army. That's all well and good, except who's going to fight Goliath? He is literally a giant of a person, and nobody is willing to come out and face Goliath. Day after day after day, he comes out, and Goliath not only says, hey, here I am, I'm willing to fight, he literally starts to taunt the Israelite camp and army. Who of you dares to come against me? I defy you, Israelites. In fact, I defy your living God. Come on, who's going to take me? And nobody was taking him on. Now, the logical choice at this point was for the Israelite people to look to their leader, who was King Saul. And there were a number of logical reasons to look to King Saul. One was he's their king. He's their leader. He's supposed to take care of them. But the other reason was that Saul himself is described in Scripture in an earlier place 
as being a head taller than everyone else. And in those times, especially if you were taller than someone else, you were looked up to physically, but also with a sense of respect and admiration. So all eyes are turning to Saul, hoping that every day that Goliath comes out and taunts them, that their leader, this tall guy, the one who's supposed to take care of them, Saul will come out and face Goliath. Except Saul is terrified just like every other person in the Israelite army. Look what it says this morning in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 11. Here's the description we're given. On hearing the Philistines, that is Goliath's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So literally picture in your mind what's happening here. The giant comes out every single day. The hope that the Israelite folks have is not showing up. So every day for 40 days, Goliath comes out and he taunts the Israelites and he says, who's going to face me? Who among you cowards dares to go against me? I defy you. I defy your living God. And every day, the hope of the, the Israelites doesn't show up. Saul doesn't come out. Doesn't come out to defend them, help them. What do you think that's going to do to the Israelite camp and army? Every day, you can almost just picture as Goliath comes out and taunts them, but nobody comes against Goliath. They're their shoulders probably droop a little farther and their heads sag a little lower. And the hope that they have just continues to shrink and shrink and shrink. And the despair weighs more and more and more on their shoulders. Their earthly hope in Saul is failing them as he doesn't show up. Now, there's a word in there for you and I as well because we're not so different from the Israelite camp and the Israelite army. You and I also tend to place our hope in earthly resources that eventually let us down as well. Many times, you and I place our hope in our career or our status or our money or our wealth or our comfort or our parents or our children or our grades And every time we put our hope in those things, eventually we too get let down because those things can't give us what we ultimately hope for. They can't give us the peace and the life that we desire. They can't give us the sense of identity and vitality that we really desire. And so all of those earthly forms of hope eventually let us down. We're not even so different in the life of the church. What we hope that we'll have a, a growing church, a, a vital church, a church full of vitality, but what do we often do to seek those things out or have vitality occur? We say things like, let's have the best music program that we can, and it's a blessing to have great musicians among us. But if that's where we place our hope, we as a church will ultimately fail. If we place our hope in the personas of the pastors, or in the excellence of our programs, or in the beauty of our facilities, every single time in the long run, the church will fail because we have placed our hope in some earthly resource and response. In order for God's church to grow, in order to experience the vitality that God intends, there must be utter dependence and utter hope on one thing alone, and that is life found and defined in Jesus Christ as the living Lord. That alone is where we find our hope. That alone is where we as a church must place our hope, not in some earthly attraction, but in the living reality of hope found in Jesus Christ. We see with the Israelites here this morning, when they put their hope in the earthly things, it's leaving them full of despair and despondency. And that's where we are this morning. And Goliath comes out yet again, day after day, taunting (laughs) 
the Israelites, who of you dares go against me? Now this is what's happening when David is getting close to entering the scene. And if you know anything about David, David is the youngest of eight brothers. He is the uh, youngest of these eight brothers to a gentleman named Jesse. The three oldest brothers at this point are off in war with Saul facing this giant Goliath. When this is going on, David is still at home. And he's only about 15 years old, as best as we can understand. And his job was to be tending the flocks, taking care of the sheep, doing those kinds of things while his older brothers are off at war. Well, the three oldest brothers have been off at war for a while, and his dad, Jesse, gets an idea. He's like, you know what, David? Your brothers, they probably could use some encouragement. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to put a care package together, and I want you to go take it to your three oldest brothers. And in the care package, I want you to put some grain and some bread and some cheese, and you take it to them to encourage them while they're out there fighting. So David gets the elements together, and he makes his way to his brothers there on the front line and as they're getting ready to fight. And on the day that David has come, bringing this care package of grain and bread and cheese, on that very day as he's getting there to be with his brothers, out comes Goliath. And Goliath does his things. I defy you, Israel. I defy your living God. Who among you comes and goes against me? I didn't think of it. Think of, I didn't think that any of you would. None of you are willing to come out and fight me, just like every other day. And he taunts them and he puts them down. Only this day, David, 15-year-old David, in his youthful zeal, hears Goliath. And David is like, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? Somebody needs to smack him down. Somebody needs to do something. Why are y'all just standing back doing something? He can't talk to you that way. He can't talk to the living God that way. What, what are you doing? And David starts asking all these questions and, and raising all these comments to which Eliab, the oldest brother, gives an older brother response. David, shut up. Give us the care package and go home. Quit running your mouth. Quit talking. Quit asking questions. You don't know anything that's going on. You're only 15 years old. You probably didn't even want to take care of the flocks anymore, so you offered to bring us the care package. Go back home and work like you're supposed to. And David gives the typical younger brother response. Eliab, you are not the boss of me, and I can do whatever I want, and if I want to ask questions, I can keep asking questions. And so he does. And he keeps asking so many questions that finally Saul catches wind that somebody's asking questions. And it raises just a tiny bit of hope in Saul. If there's somebody who feels this way, somebody who doesn't like what Goliath is sharing, maybe, just maybe, he would be willing to go against Goliath. So he sends for this individual, and there comes David. 15-year-old David. And whatever hope had started to build up in Saul... This is no warrior. This is no soldier. He doesn't even have a battle wound. He doesn't even have a battle scratch. Do you know what a 15-year-old looks like? Let me show you two 15-year-olds that I see every day in my household. <laughs> Here are two 15-year-olds. That's what a 15-year-old boy looks like. This is what we're told David is, and David has come into Saul this morning to say, I'll take on Goliath, but this is what two 15-year-old boys look like. Do you know the mindset? of a 15-year-old boy? Let me show you uh, the mindset of a 15-year-old boy. Let me tell you what they're doing. They're fighting to see who gets to sit in the shotgun front seat position. That's what they're fighting over. This is the mindset of a 15-year-old boy. By the way, though, let me say this. Notice that 15-year-old boys 
are filled with passion and they're willing to fight for what they desire and what they believe in. So here's David coming to Saul with passion and willing also to fight for what he believes in and to fight for what he sees. Because here's the thing about David, and here's what sets him apart. Every other person who had seen Goliath responded in fear and terror, except David. David's not terrorized, he's offended. And that's a significant difference. He's not standing in fear of Goliath. He's offended because when David looks at Goliath, what he sees is somebody outside the will of the living God, and it offends him, and it raises his passion. And this is something that's going to guide David all the days of his life. He won't be a perfect person, but all the days of his life, he will seek to follow what's in God's will and be opposed to what is outside of God's will. And so when he comes this morning for David, he is the first one to focus not on the problem, but on the solution. And if we're going to talk about whatever obstacles we are encountering, one of the biggest things we can learn from David is don't focus on the problem, focus on the solution. And he knows what the solution is because the solution is not going to be found outside of God's will. So when he sees Goliath and recognizes he's outside of God's will, he knows that the answer is not going to be found there. It's going to be found in God's will. And that's what's starting to rise up in for David here this morning. So he comes to Saul, and he's like, Saul, I'll go against him. King, I'll go against Goliath. If nobody else will, he can't talk to you the way that, way that way, king. He can't talk to God that way, king. Let me go against him. And Saul's like, nah, you're 15. He's a seasoned vet. He's a giant. You're not. And if you look in verses 33 through 37 of what we looked at this morning in chapter 17, David argues back, and he says, but king, listen, I'm a shepherd and whenever a wolf or a lion or a bear has attacked my flock, you know what I do? I don't just take the other 99 sheep and go protect them. I go after that lion. I go after that bear so that I can get even the one that it was attacking and pull them away and save them and keep them safe. And because of that, here's what we know in verse 17, verse 37. David recognizes it's not his own strength that's going to make this happen. He says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine as well. What David says here is, King, I'm good, but I'm not that good. The that good comes because of the strength of the Lord in me. It's not going to be my own strength that goes against Goliath. It is God in me, God behind me, God with me that's going to make this work. It is God in me that will allow me to overcome even Goliath. And King, I know it doesn't look like it right now, and I know you don't understand, but please, King, let me go. And why is it that David is not afraid? Because David is helping us to understand this, that the man or the woman whose hope is in the Lord need not fear. The man or the woman who hopes not in their own ability, not in their own skills, not in their own set of circumstances, but in the fear of the Lord, they are the ones who can and will have hope. And David says, that's where my hope is, Saul. So will you let me go? Will you let me fight? Here's what's really interesting about David. He's one of the few characters. We're not told just facts and figures about David. We're also given a glimpse into his heart and into his mind. For example, 
In Psalm 25, verse 1, these are David's words, and he's letting us see into his heart. Look what he says. He says, in you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. Again, in you, Lord, not in circumstances, not in status, not in power, not in resources, in you. And then he says this in verse 3 of chapter 25, no one who hopes in you will be put to shame. You don't have to worry about shame or looking awful ever again if this is where your trust is and where your hope is. And then finally in verse 5, it says, guide me in your truth and teach me. Now remember, these are the words of a king. No king talks like that. Earthly kings say, look at me. Give me respect. Find your hope in me. Find your power in me. Let me as earthly king have all your answers. That's what the normal earthly king does, not David. David as king says, Lord, teach me. Lord, in you, not in my armies, not in my resources, in you I put my hope and in my trust. And this again is what's going to set David apart all the rest of his days. And the perspective then that David is teaching us here this morning is this, that with our hope in the living God, we can be clear, we can be confident, and we can be humble all at the same time. And this is the key to overcoming the barriers before us, seeing with clarity, acting then confidently, but walking in humility. And it's with this mindset then that David looks at Saul and says, so king, let me go fight him. And not knowing what else to do, King Saul Saul says, okay. David comes out, faces Goliath, and you can imagine Goliath. Goliath is honestly offended. He is a warrior giant. And this is who you send against me? What kind of offensive gesture is this? A boy? And then he starts taunting David. And David is like, you know, not phased at all, but there's, there's the giant Goliath. And you can just feel the Goliath building up and getting angry. And he's like, boy, I'm going to take your carcass and feed it to the birds. And David, what does he do? He sees with clarity. And David says, I tried on the armor of Saul and earthly weapons and armor, and that wasn't for me. With clarity, I know that my weapons as a shepherd in the spirit of God are these stones and a sling. And then when the giant comes against David in all his confidence, David with confidence looks at the giant and says, "Uh uh-uh, Goliath, it's your carcass that's going to be given to the birds today. And then David in humility says, because it's not going to happen in my strength, it will happen in the strength of the Lord. I know that there are some of us here today facing different barriers, and we just need to see more clearly God's will in that process, and I invite us to do that praying. There are some of us here who need to be more confident. We think that there's a situation before us that's too big that God cannot handle, so we're not confident enough. There are others among us who need to be more filled with humility. We're too cocky in our own selves, and we need to walk in the strength and humbleness before the living God. And with that mindset, David, Goliath, picture it. The fate of the entire Israelite army, the fate of the Philistine army, rests on David, a mere 15-year-old shepherd boy, and Goliath, the great warrior. And they come running at each other. David takes one of those stones, puts it in his sling, throws it, hits Goliath in the forehead, stuns him, He falls to the ground. David takes his sword, chops his head off. 
David wins. David overcomes. When I think of that story, there's so many elements that I love. There's one detail I want to point out to you. Did you catch what kind of stone David used to fling and hit Goliath? Did you hear the description? Let let me read this for you in verse 40, chapter 17. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in hand approached the Philistine. It was a smooth stone. At my parents' farm, there's a creek, and behind the creek are many, and in the creek, I should say, are many stones just like this. If you were to be able to come up and hold it right now, you would notice and feel it is incredibly smooth. Why? Any rock that sits in a stream of water for an extended amount of time eventually becomes smoothed out. Why? The running water literally smooths away the rough edges. So with time, jagged rocks become smooth, They become transformed, they become beautiful, they become powerful to be used. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, you and I, as followers of Jesus, are described as living stones upon which the foundation of Jesus Christ is built. And in the Gospel of John chapter 7, Jesus is referenced as living water. What happens when you and I as living stones are immersed for a long time in the living water, the running water? With enough time, our rough edges are smoothed out. We are transformed. We are made beautiful. We're made powerful. With one smooth stone, the giant, the evil giant was slayed. Discipleship is about us as living stones being immersed in the living Jesus Christ, immersed in scripture, immersed in prayer, immersed in Bible study, immersed in the Holy Spirit, and with enough time, God smooths us and transforms us and makes us beautiful and makes us powerful so that any barrier we are facing can be overcome. How appropriate on this day where we celebrate the saints who have gone before us. Many of them who spent a lifetime immersed in the living God, the living water of Jesus Christ. That when their time to face even death came, death had lost its sting. No barrier was too big. Why? Because they had already been smoothed out. Living stones in the living water of Christ. May we be a church filled with living stones immersed in the water of Christ ourselves. And so what I want to invite you to do this morning, church, and to be reminded that no obstacle is too big, no barrier is too great. In your newsletter this morning, there are some questions for you. And I want to invite you, not just for today, but we invite you to bring this back every week. It looks a little bit like this. There are a couple of questions for today and each week that we're going to be in this series. And we want to invite you now in the next few moments to reflect on these questions. Who or what is your Goliath? And is there something keeping you from trusting God in defeating that giant? As you do that, we're going to just spend a few minutes in reflection, but we invite you literally to begin to write down 
any of those thoughts or comments that come to mind for you and keep that in mind moving into the week ahead to be reminded that in Christ, anything, even death, can be overcome.